Welcome back to School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined once again by Matthew Chandler, and this week another new guest, uh, Pat Maribo. Is that how you pronounce it? I, you know, I that is that is one percent correct. Yeah, thanks All right, for having perfect. me, guys. There we go, one for one. Perfect. Awesome. <laughs> um, Pat, uh, Pat's new to the uh, podcast, but not new to uh, Royal Blue Mercy. He's done a lot of stuff for the uh, the site. Um, including write in, writing this past week's Instant Reaction, I believe, uh, which we'll get into about the, the Norwich game. But, Pat, first off, how are you doing today? Doing well. Doing great. You know, working from home. Quarantine's been going well, so, you know, can't complain. Good, good, good. And, Matthew, how about you? Uh, I'm pretty tired today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was up pretty late last night trying to think of something to write about a really bland, terrible game of football. <laughs> um, and then kind of dragged myself out of bed to go for a run this morning. And it's really hot here at the moment as well, which is unusual for British summertime. It's normally you know, like very drab and grey for the most part, which it was for like the last few weeks. But, you know, at least Everton won them. <laughs> it makes it slightly <laughs> easier to bear. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's get into the game. Obviously, Everton won it uh, 1-0 over Norwich. Um, it was... Let's start with the starting lineups. One change for um, for the team from the Liverpool match. Uh, Bernard obviously came in for Anthony Gordon. Uh, were we happy with uh, the team's uh, selection? Um, was it harsh to drop uh, Gordon? Matthew, what were your thoughts on kind of like uh, the team that Ancelotti brought out there? I think it's a bit harsh on Gordon because um, I feel like Norwich away um, – would have given him much more of a chance to to shine maybe than Liverpool at home. But I can understand, you know, why he went for the experience of Bernard. We've got a lot of games as well, haven't we, in the next month or so. So I'm sure Gordon will start at least one of them before the end of the season. Um, but I think the only thing I would say about Bernard is that a lot of away games he tends to struggle and it's kind of marginalized um and i think yesterday was one of those games for the most part but as far as team selection goes otherwise i think uh other than maybe alex awobi who i thought was pretty poor against liverpool i don't see where else he could have changed but as it happens awobi was one of our better players yesterday wasn't he so um i think actually maybe made the right call there that what are you thinking yeah, I mean, I think you could tell, you know, right from the start, Bernard's impact, you know, linking up with, you know, Digne on the left side. He definitely brought a lot of, you know, action early on in the match. And I do agree with, uh, you know, Matthew about how I, I, I do think Gordon, you know, would have had a good time against Norwich. Um, but at the same time, you know, I feel like he would make a good impact sub off the bench for Bernard as he did, you know, look like he was kind of walking on jello about the 70th minute yesterday. So I think, you know, Gordon will bring in those fresh legs for Bernard as, you know, he kind of does get knackered pretty quickly. But, you know, other than that, I think, you know, the team selection was definitely, you know, on point. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, it obviously showed a little bit as the first half went on how, first off, how um, how hot it is, like Matthew mentioned, um, you know, how hot it is over there. And, you know, obviously with these games being so close together, obviously we get a week before our next game, but um, not much time after that in between games. Uh, it did show a little fatigue, but, you know, um, things went, you know, pretty well for the most part. Um, and I think the, the team selection was, was pretty good. Um, obviously, Pat, like I mentioned, you did the, um, the instant reaction. So, uh, give me your general thoughts, you know, now, you know, obviously you wrote about it right after, um, 24 hours later, well, not even 24 hours later, but, uh, what are your general thoughts on the game and the, and the performance? I mean, I, I thought we played well, you know, I think the one thing I took from it that is, you know, the tale that's told us time is that Everton seemed to struggle with kind of killing off the opponent towards the end of the match. You know, I feel like we easily could have scored, um, another goal or two to kind of, you know, clinch it late on. Um, you know, it's still, it still was a good victory. You know, I think, I think we're about like 80% there. I think Carlo likes what he's seeing, but um, I still think that, you know, you know, we're still kind of working on getting there. I think all things considered given, 
you know, only second match back, it'll, it'll take a little time to kind of get used to things. Um, but I'd say it was a pretty positive effort overall. Matthew, how about you? Yeah, I thought, um, I was impressed. I was pleased that we won particularly because of how poorly we played much of the game. Um, it's the kind of game that we saw Everton lose a lot under Marcus Silva and previous managers where we'd wait too long for the manager to recognise what needed to be changed and then be too late by then. Um, and I thought, you know, the fact that Norwich never really threatened us because we are pretty comfortable through our game. Um, and the fact that Ancelotti recognised at half-time the midfield wasn't working and took off Tom Davies, um, I think is as much a sign of progress under Ancelotti so far as anything else, really. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, um, it was a good change, good substitution, obviously. <laughs> I think some of us were expecting a few more before as late as he left it. But, um, listen, we, like you said, we don't – well, this is a team that has – notoriously not pulled out games like that um, against lesser clubs. They've, you know, lost games that they should have won or, or were in the lead by a goal and, and kind of fell into that, you know, defensive state and gave up a goal lead or something like that. So a good three points there. Everton are up to 10th now at the time of recording, recording um, uh, in the morning uh, in America on Thursday. Um, European push on, is this, you know, is this something that we realistically can see, um, happening, Pat? I mean, I think Carlo Delphi thinks so. Uh, he's He's been kind of saying, you know, the same thing the past few weeks now about how we're trying to push and whatnot for that spot. You know, I think it's really up to, you know, teams dropping points as well. I know I know Spurs won the other day, I believe, and um, I believe there's a few other teams ahead of us that, you know, we just got to kind of hope can drop a few points uh, in these next few matches. But, you know, I think – you know, the result the other day was a positive for the team. And, you know, hopefully that'll kind of get them uh, get them going. Matthew? Um, I think certainly doable, especially if Man City, uh, if their European ban isn't, is, is, sorry, is, is upheld. Uh, we could see Europa League go down to eighth currently. So, um, Everton are, I can't remember how many points, I think it's about four points off eighth. Moment, yeah, I think we're four point um, seven. Okay, yeah, but um, I think it, I think it helps that we've, we've still got to play Tottenham, Leicester, Wolves, Sheffield United. So yeah, I think that I mean Leicester probably be out of reach, but the other three, especially the former Sheffield United, Celtic didn't expect us to kind of reel them in. Um, and then obviously if you can beat at least one of Tottenham and Wolves, then you know I think. Um, We've got to be aiming for something for the rest of the season. Don't want to, you don't want it to just sort of peter out as the last few seasons kind of have towards the end. Um, and yeah, I don't see why not. I don't know if Everton would be ready for it. So I think we've talked before about the Europa League and whether it might be a year too soon for Everton to to play that many matches, especially in what's going to be a pretty congested season with a late start uh, because of the coronavirus. But you know, it's something to aim for and it's something to uh, to say, well, if we did that, that's progress from where we were. Because obviously we were 18th when Marcus Silva was sacked and that was only like 15 games ago. So um, if we keep playing the way we, we are, I don't see why not. I've certainly been impressed the way we started since the restart anyway. So two good performances. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to confirm, we're four points off of seventh, which is Wolves and uh, – or excuse me um, – which is Tottenham and we are eight points off fifth in Man United. So, um, you know, obviously, like you mentioned, we have Leicester and Tottenham coming up. So those are big games um, and Sheffield United have not been in great form since the restart. So, you know, it is doable. Sure. And obviously, like you said, it's, it's important to have those goals to reach for. Um, but again, I guess it really peters down to, are we going to be ready for it when it comes around um, this season? So, and will that affect us or hurt us in any way? And, you know, that's a question we won't know the answer to until, until the next season rolls around, if we get in. Um, moving forward now, just to kind of tie a bow on some of this stuff um, before we get into some comments and some post-match stuff, any players stand out specifically to you guys? Any 
players that were obviously Tom Davies didn't perform um, well at all. And obviously was subbed off at halftime, but any other, you know, standouts or uh, disappointments for you in the squad, Matthew, we'll go to you first. Uh, I thought Michael Keane and Mason Hallgate another good game as a partnership. Um, didn't have a, a, a great deal to do, especially second half. Um, but I think I've been, I've been impressed with Michael Keane. He's had a pretty rocky season, but um, he is, is really starting to take a claim, I think, to Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, I thought Sigurdsson was, you know, he wasn't amazing. He wasn't outstanding, but he, I think he made a bit of a difference second half. I think it helps Sigurdsson the fact that these games are kind of played at a much slower sort of almost friendly kind of pace because obviously Sigurdsson's lost his legs uh, this season his, his pace is kind of completely gone by now I think um, and sort of the usual sort of end-to-end kind of Premier League game hasn't really we haven't seen any of that since since it came back so um, I think Sigurdsson Starting could be an avenue Ancelotti might want to go down for the Leicester game. Uh, and Alex Iwobi as well, I think he was much better down the wing. Um, he still kind of lacks that end product, doesn't he? But certainly work rate was really impressive. Um, thought, I thought Bernard tired quite evident, quite you know, evidently towards the end. Um, and again, I was kind of disappointed with his contribution. Um, in an away game I thought Charles had a quiet game Davies obviously was kind of a standout kind of poor player if you like uh, and Gomez I think, although I think you can make the, a more of an allowance for Gomez because he's just he yeah, obviously had that terrible injury in, in November probably still isn't quite up to match sharpness yet um, if you're honest but it's kind of a case of needs must with him because we've got nobody else really so um yeah, kind of a very patchy performance, but uh, certainly a lot to build on. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, definitely agree with a lot of those points. Uh, I feel like Awobi uh, played really well, and obviously he has, you know, massive shoes to fill as a Theo Walcott is out injured. Um, but you know, I think him. I think Calvert Lewin played really well. Sorry. Yeah, that was that was that was that was a joke. Slight sarcasm. <laughs> slight. Only only slight. Um, I, I think Calvert Loon had a great game. You know, didn't score obviously, but you know, I thought his hold up play was really good. He seemed to be all over the pitch. Um, you know, Charleston had a quiet game. You know, I think uh, Norwich was containing him pretty well. Um, there other than that, uh, you know, I said, you know, Bernard, I thought had a great game as well. And um, I thought Dinye also had a good game. You know, I think him and Bernard connecting on the left side was was really crucial for you know, Everton's pressure early on. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you guys basically all, all, all the all the key points there. Um, you know, Awobi again. Like Awobi, for the most part, you know, had one of his better games in an Everton Everton jersey. So uh, that was good to see. But again, there was times when he had an opportunity to put a ball in the box where the ball was too deep or stuff like that, and the crosses just weren't there. And that was the disappointing part. If he you know, connects on a couple of those crosses, put some balls in, you know, obviously we think of the performance um, up there with probably one of the better performances, if not the best performance of the day, but uh, still good improvement from a Wobie. And I mean, it's good to see that, um, you know, after, you know, not seeing much of that as, as the games um, have progressed, basically have touched on everything that uh, um, Pete talked about in the, um, in the, in um, obviously yeah. touching a few of those points, Davies, obviously we, we talked about not great, <laughs> completed just 60.9% of his passes in the first half. Um, just to add a stat to, to kind of the poor performance and, uh, Matthew on, on the, the counterpoint, you, you talked about Gilfy and how he was playing a little bit better than he typically does because of possibly the slower pace. He completed 94.7 of his passes. So, Clearly a good substitution there from uh, Carlo. Um, and obviously it, it definitely made a difference. Um, obviously uh, we talked about Wobie's pros and cons. Really the only thing we didn't talk about is, is Moyes Keane. And if, I don't know if you guys want to touch on that. Obviously he came on with about, I guess, 10 minutes to play um, and picked up a yellow. Yeah. 
two minutes in, not even two minutes, literally 30 seconds into him coming on. Um, what do you guys think about, I mean, I feel like this is not a one-off. I feel like this has happened a couple times. What do you think, think about Keen and, and kind of, obviously he hasn't gotten many opportunities, um, but he also hasn't made the most of the small opportunities he's had. I think um, I wasn't, it's kind of the same old story with Moise Keane, isn't it? I think, um, like you said, you know, uh, so Pete's highlighted the fact he got a, a yellow card with a minute of going on. And I know he's very young, but that's not, that's not, that's not what you really want to see from any player, is it? Let alone the striker, you just come on to try and seal the game. Um, I do wonder whether, I'm kind of at the point now, I do wonder whether it's going to happen for Keane. Kind of feels like he's going down the same route as like players like Luckman, Nikola Vlasic that we've seen before, where sort of promising youngsters kind of lose their way, which is which is sad. But then at the same time, where are you going to play him? I mean, is he going to is he going to displace Richarlison or Calvert Lewin? No, but unless you boot Richarlison out wide, which you could do, but then those two have worked so well up front that if you really want to upset that, just to accommodate Keane, I'm not sure. Um, it does seem like he's got a manager in Ancelotti who, who backs him and believes him and will put his arm around his shoulder as well. Um, I mean, Pete's written here, it feels like Keane is trying too hard off, too hard on the ball and not enough off it, which I think is a really good summary, actually, of, what, of, of Keane's time at Evans so far. Yeah. Um, he's kind of had this desperation, not desperation, but he seems really, really sort of keen, pardon the pun, to, uh, to impress. But then, same time, he seems to get really frustrated really quickly, and um, doesn't seem to have that maturity that another young striker like Calvert Lewin has. Yeah, no, absolutely, Pat. Anything on Keane? Your opinions? Uh, you know, on maybe just him as a whole? Yeah, my heart definitely dropped a little bit when I think it was in like the 93rd minute. I want to say when he tried dribbling out of our own defensive <laughs> end. That was definitely. Yeah. Uh, that I I was just seeing flashbacks to you know a 95th headed you know goal um, that I'm sure we've seen a lot in the past few years against you know the lower teams. But yeah, I mean you know he definitely likes to run. He's aggressive, but but that one moment just uh, yeah that was a close one for sure. Yeah, he's I uh, he's got so much talent, and I feel like we talk about this all the time. He's got so much talent. And you know he has so much talent. It's just that some of the other things take away from his ability or some of the other decisions he makes. He's still learning. He's still a young kid, but he's still got a lot to learn. And I think there's, you know, I think he's going to be a very good player. It's just, um, will he do that at Everton before his time is up at the club? And, you know, I guess that's, that's the question that, that we'll all, I guess, get the answer to probably very shortly or within the next year, at least. Um, let's talk about, Really, before we move on, just some of Ancelotti's post-match comments. I'll go through them here, some of the most important ones. Um, first off, he said, you know, we started well after lockdown. We have to keep going. Uh, that's what he told Everton TV. Um, the players are motivate, motivated, and this is really good. We have a dream to achieve European qualification, and I hope at the end of the season we're able to achieve it, uh, which is something we've talked about um, already. The most important part of the Norwich game was the victory. We, did, we didn't play brilliantly, but I knew we didn't have enough time to recover properly physically. I think after three months without matches, it is then very difficult to play every three days. The team gave a fantastic effort in the game. We were a little bit slow in the first half, but we never lost our confidence or our motivation, and the second half was much better. Uh, just some comments. Um, you know, I think he said all the right things. He seems to always say all the right things. He seems to always have, have a good answer for everything. Um, you know, obviously this team, he's really done a fantastic job with this team and turning them around since, you know, December, whenever he took over. Um, and, uh, you know, any, any parting comments for this game on Ancelotti's comments or anything to add to that? Um, anything you guys want to talk about specifically? Matthew? I think he's right when he says it all. I mean, it sounds obvious, but the most important part of the game being the victory. I think kind of at that stage in the season now where, uh, you know, results are probably not as important as earlier on in the campaign and you just look really just to get the three points and 
building momentum for whatever it is you're challenging for in Everton's case sort of you're at the top off finish um, yeah. and yeah I mean I've said in my piece that I did on this game that it's kind of the most impressive thing about Ancelotti is that managing to win games when um, you know which is quite hard to do in your midfield is basically bypassed every game um, and you know for the most part that was the same yesterday and um, he's not stupid I mean he's acknowledged that Everton were not particularly good in that game. Um, but, you know, gives you more of a platform, something to build on when you get those three points without playing well. Say, when we went to, I don't know, Aston Villa at the start of the season and got turned over, or Bournemouth, Burnley, whoever else, you can take your pick, really. <laughs> um, I mean, we've actually lost all, we've lost to all three promoted teams already this season, haven't we? So, um, this was a much more I'd say professional performance. Pat, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree, you know, everything Matthew has to say. I feel like, you know, Ancelotti is, you know, very straight to the point, which I like. Um, you know, he also offers a lot of more optimism compared to, you know, managers of the past, such as Martinez or, you know, Silva and those likes. Um, yeah, I think he's definitely saying the right things. And, um, you know, the supporters should be, you know, obviously very, very positive about the rest of the season for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's an, uh, that's all we got for the Norwich game. Let's get into a little bit of the news that's uh, taking place other than um, what Everton's done on the pitch. Um, real quick, let's talk about Schneiderlin. Obviously he's gone now. He's um, his move to Nice is, was finalized on Tuesday. Uh, it's per, for a reported 2 million euro uh, fee. Uh, me and uh, Matthew have already discussed uh, Schneiderlin, you know, to the death. But, Pat, any thoughts on him, on the move, anything you want to, you know, say on Schneiderlin and his career here at Everton? Yeah, I mean, I think his, you know, his first few months at the club were obviously probably his best ones. Um, you know, I think uh, we probably lost a good amount of money, um, you know, compared to what we bought him for. I think it was around 20 mil, maybe. Not too sure, but yeah, I think so. Um, pretty big loss. But then again, I can only imagine he was probably one of the higher, you know, um, paid players in terms of wage. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we got him off the books. He's also, I believe, 30, um, soon to turn 31. Uh, so I think, you know, definitely, definitely a good move um, on both ends. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that, I mean, that's that's I think basically what. Me and Matthew also have said we, you know, totally agree. Kind of, it, it's it sucks because he was so good at the beginning of his Everton career, but things have kind of gone in the opposite direction since then. And you know, I think it's just good to get him off the books. He's, you know, he's been, you know, you know, he's been a person who who's always, you know, seemed to, you know, be good around the club and whatnot, but just never worked out at Everton. And now he's off to Nice. Um, some other contract news, and we'll kind of go through these in groups. Um, obviously, uh, Nias, Garbit, and Martina have been released um, at the time of recording. Uh, Baines, he's, he's signed on for the rest of this, at least the rest of the season, I should say, uh, but still yet to um, accept his one-year uh, deal that's on the table. And then Sidibe's loan is extended till the end of the season. Any surprises here, guys? Um, anything really? Um, out of the ordinary, I think the biggest surprise may be that Baines hasn't accepted the one-year deal, right? Well, I mean, it's still on the table, isn't it? So, um, yeah, yeah, kind of can't come to conclusion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Have a, I mean, I would like him to stay Baines, but I do kind of have a bad feeling about this the longer it kind of drags on. Um, but you know, he's here for at least the rest of the season, so I think some people will. Quite worried that yesterday would be his last game, sort of his farewell appearance when he came on at the end. Um, hopefully that won't be the case because he's had a, he's had a good. I say he's had a good season. It's kind of hard to say it's a season when he's only played what, six or seven times, but he has. He's not looked out of place at all. Um, the, the three have been released: Niasgar, but Martino. I don't think anyone will be particularly sorry to see them go, and you know they won't get in a game, so. You know, particularly in the ass, uh, it's good to get them off the wage bill. Uh, and obviously with Martina going, 
need we need some sort of deputy right back. Um, hopefully, Sidibe can contribute if he's back from injury sooner enough. So yeah, I mean, no real surprises there, I don't think. Brad, anything to add? Yeah, uh, I definitely agree. No real surprises. Um, you know, I, I do think you know Garbit. I believe he's 27 now. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, he had a he had a good year for Ipswich. Um, I was I was a huge fan of him early on. Uh, I believe he started one of our Europa League games. I can't remember who we were playing, but I remember he. Oh, was played. it the uh, was it the Wolfsburg game? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember he played phenomenal and. You know, a lot of people were obviously, you know, calling him Baines's, you know, successor. Um, so, you know, it's a little unfortunate it didn't work out for him, but, you know, it seems like he's doing well elsewhere. So, you know, best of luck to him. Yeah. It's a shame with Garvey, I think, though, because, like you say, that, that season with Martin as, uh, I think in Martin as a second year, he showed a lot of quality. So I remember his crosses particularly were a lot of time really on the money. Um, yeah. And looked like maybe we had a sort of, successor to Baines there, but um, I remember Martinez started trying Brendan Galloway there, didn't he? And then mm. Galloway went on loan to Fulham and then that didn't work out and then seems to have been on loan kind of every season since then and now he's in League One. And, um, it's kind of kind of sums up Evans sort of, uh, sort of shoddy contract and recruitment policy that we've still got to 26, 27-year-old on loan to a League One club. <laughs> uh, kind of similar to guys like Pennington, I guess. Um, but yeah. I don't think anyone would be shocked or kind of sorry to see Garbutt go. I think it's the right decision. And probably one that should have happened a few years ago now. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Um, like, you, like you guys have said it all. Not No surprises, kind of. Um, what you expect here um, under 23s moving to them, just go through all the contract situations over there. Um, Captain Morgan Feeney, Alex Denny, Matt folds, uh, Manes Mampala and Creed Adadoyan. I'm not really sure uh, if I got that right, but they will all leave the club at the end of the season. Kieran Phillips, who's currently on loan at Huddersfield town through the end of the 2019, 2020 campaign. He will leave the club after that. Um, and then Nathangelo Markello and Khan Uzunidis. Uh, there you go. Thank, Thank you. you. These names, man, um, have both been offered new contracts upon the um, expiration of their new or of their current deals, um, but neither of them have signed yet. Um, I think, you know, well, if you go up to the guys that were leaving the club, Morgan Feeney and uh, Morgan Feeney obviously is a name that stands out as someone who, you know, I think a lot of people may have thought if given the right opportunities could have had a, you know, a spot in the first team, but thoughts on the U23s and the players that are leaving anything um, you really to add, Matthew? I think, um, I think Feeney is the one, isn't he? It's kind of disappointment because, um, he had a few chances under under David Unsworth when he was in caretaker charge and, and kind of acquitted himself pretty well but hasn't really kicked on in the two and a half years since then and it's a shame as I know he's a he's a massive Everton and he's a season to get older in the Gladys Street um, so I'm sure he'll be kind of really disappointed that um hasn't worked out from Everton but I don't see the point it's like, you know, we're saying about Garbutt and how long we've kept him on. There's, no, there's kind of no point giving these guys, I guess, false hope in a way if, if you're just going to retain them and sign them onto a new contract if you don't genuinely see a way through to the first team for them. Um, I think there's kind of doubt about Feeney that he would have the, sort of the quality or maybe the pace to, to compete in the Premier League. So if, if, um, if Ancelotti or Marcel Brands or whoever... Or, David Unsworth doesn't think they've got enough for first team football. Again, you can't really argue with that. But obviously, they're they're better placed to know that than, than us because these guys we see them every day in training. So, uh, I also I kind of bow to their judgment on this one. I think that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's you know a few of these players were part of I guess the U23s, you know, winning um, winning the season. I guess it was last year, two years ago. Um, but, you know, I think, again, it's, you know, the false hope idea and, 
just, you know, we really haven't had a lot of, a lot of success, you know, from the U23s kind of making that jump to the first team. Um, so, you know, again, uh, as Matthew said, you know, trust Carlo's judgment. Um, you know, it seems like if these guys haven't made the jump up by now, then, you know, odds are they might not in the near future. So it doesn't really make too much sense to kind of hang on to them. That's the thing. I think Anthony Gordon's kind of made the breakthrough then. He's only 19. I think it kind of, you have to, sounds really harsh because obviously you're kind of only kind of starting your career at 21 or whatever, but by, by your sort of early 20s, you kind of already have to have made the breakthrough by then. Yeah. The guys like Alexander Arnold at Liverpool was kind of first team regular by 20 or 19 or whatever. Um, and I think the, the team that, that won that Premier League 2 in uh, 2017. Can't, there's not really any apart from maybe I guess Benny Beningamy and John Joe Kenny that really got a look into the first team since then. Mm. Obviously Tom Davies kind of the year the year before. Um, it's a shame, but then if they're not good enough, then like I said, the, the right thing to do is to, to ship them out and and don't let their let their career stall. I guess. Mm. Yeah. No, you're right. You said it. Um, right there, Matthew, especially in today's, you know, the way things are going today, you kind of have to have your career figured out and breaking that first team by, uh, by your early twenties. Cause that just seems when it happens for everybody, all the, you know, those talented players that are getting their shots in the first team are all either in their late, late teens or their early twenties. And you got to make an impact by then or else it, you know, it seems all doom and gloom for you from there. But there is some pretty big news other than some contract situations uh, that did come out recently. Obviously, we know that uh, Dan Mize has been working on the new stadium. Obviously, the new stadium has been in the works for a while now. Um, But some news came out yesterday when uh, he tweeted out that he was um, no longer involved with the project. Um, At the time, it seemed uh, he, he didn't comment directly on what was the issue there, but it seemed like um, he was rather disappointed at how to play it out and it wasn't exactly what he wanted or what he expected. But then as the day went on, the Liverpool Echo uh, came out with some uh, reports saying that British firm Pattern Design have been brought in to handle the construction phase of the stadium due to their familiarity with the local regu- regulations. Um, they're based in London, Edinburgh, and Lima. Um, and they announced on the website that they are the new technical ar- architect on the project. Um, that, and then after that, it appears that um, reports came out that Mize was given a chance to bid for technical architect for the construction firm Lang O'Rourke, um, but wasn't awarded the contract. Um, obviously, Mize also tweeted after that, I believe, that he was not under the impression that that's how things were going to go when he accepted the project. Um, is that, you know, bad faith that Mize seems to be inferring to? Is that the bad faith that he was talking about? Um, should he have been given a job? What's, you know, obviously this is um, not great news and, and kind of a little bit of a, not a disaster, but a little bit of a troubling situation here as the stage and pro- stadium project looks to take its next step. I feel um, like Dan, Dan Mice is, I, I can, it's easy to understand his, his frustration, I think. And, uh, you know, he's, he's built up a lot of goodwill with Evertonians. I think he's been really sort of uh, active on on Twitter, interacting with fans. He's done a lot of interviews with kind of fan groups and uh, sort of local papers or whatever. Um, and seemed to have this very clear idea of what he wanted the stadium to look like um, and and how to go about it. But, you know, Seven's called, isn't it? So, um, and I mean, we probably will not truly know. I mean, there probably is some stuff about this that we, we don't know and kind of, we might never know. Um, it just, I think there's kind of probably more to this than meets the eye just because of how, I don't want to say bitter about Dan Mice, but he, there's, there's obviously kind of a a grudge there or something gone on. So, um, but I mean, the thing I don't know about this, I don't know if either of you guys know, is that Dan Mice is the architect. So, is his job kind of done if he's because he's designed the stadium? I mean, he's, as in he's, he's you know he's published all these 
kind of designs and prototypes, whatever. So I don't know if that's kind of his job done now with regards to the stadium. Yeah, uh, Pat, do you know? I, I really have no idea. No, I, I'm not too sure either. I mean, I know that, you know, when you're an architect, I think you, you obviously bring in other groups, but normally you're, and I think Dan Mize said this, he's never been involved in a project where he hasn't at least been a consultant on the project. Yeah. Um, when it seems that now he's kind of been completely, um, you know, kind of taken off the project and um, they don't have any plans of, of really having him involved in the construction phase. I'm sure that he wasn't involved. I'm sure they had to bring in another construction group or something like that, or he had to bring in his own construction group to do it. But um, I think the surprise is that he's just not involved at all. I think that's what he's surprised about. I don't know if he expected really um, – yeah, obviously, I don't think the architect worries about the construction aspect. He wouldn't be you know, physically involved in that. But I think that he expected to be involved as more of a consultant and kind of just still on the project in general, which it seems that it's not at this point. I think uh, – uh, I'm just reading the Slack chat from yesterday on our, on our channel. Mm-hmm. Um, because I remember Pete, Pete Reynolds, who was obviously on on Monday, said about he made the point yesterday that the architect is, is normally involved until completion because there'll always be kind of issues that crop up and maybe kind of amendments you have to make to designs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would imagine that the coronavirus hasn't helped this either because inevitably I think the progress will kind of slow down because of it, even though you, you can kind of do construction work and building work by social distancing. But um, I think it seems strange because, you know, the amount of public consultation that Everton and Dan Mice did on this together and um, I say the amount of goodwill he, he seemed to build up with fans. Um, it's, a, it's a strange move, but we don't know how much of an impact it'll have on the new stadium and when it's built or, or, how, or you know, what it looks like, so... We'll just wait till 2023 or wherever to judge that. That? Yeah, I mean, I feel like we definitely don't know the full story. Um, I think it was a little disappointing that, you know, I guess the news broke like an hour before the match the other day. So that was <laughs> that was that was kind of strange. I saw someone uh, a tweet at Everton when they released the team news. Dan Mice, which gave me a good chuckle. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you know he he had a really seemed like he had a really close connection. You know, I know he you know Everton hosts events and he talked to. Him. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think we don't know the full story right now. But um, you know, I'm sure it's you know all all a business thing. You know, like you guys were talking about, his job is you know most likely done, and they decided to move to a next phase. I mean, I'm not too sure, but. You know, he did seem a little upset on Twitter the other day. I don't know if you guys saw his tweets. So yeah, yeah, I no, saw wow. one. I saw one was someone he he posted this kind of cryptic tweet on uh, Friday. He said, "If I learned anything from this year, it's that when someone says it isn't personal, it's just business. I probably shouldn't have been in business with them to begin with." Ooh. And then <laughs> someone 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 noticed about five days later that he so Dan Mice has tweeted this a few days ago and he's been silent since. He's also changed his cover photo from the Bramley Murdoch wall to some to, and I quote, some random house. <laughs> he, re- he, re- he replied to this guy that actually it's my house. <laughs> um, and then someone inevitably asked him, "Is that why we're moving now?" Um, <laughs> which would be a yeah, bit of a stretch for sort of franchise moves and whatever. Yeah, I but, think. I think the, the biggest thing is just that, like you guys have said, he's been so involved in this whole process and so, um, you know, involved with the fans throughout this whole process. It just felt like he, you know, not many times do you know the architect who's building your stadium. I'm sure if he has most, most uh, professional teams and fans of professional teams, they're not interacting with the architect on, on Twitter or anything like that. So I think that's the biggest um, shock is just, how involved he was and how things just kind of got cut off uh, as quickly as they did. And again, we're not going to know the whole story, but um, still, a, 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 I guess a little bit of a crazy yeah. um, development as uh, the stadium project continues to move forward. Finally, let's get into the um, 
the preview for our next match, which will be next week, uh, Wednesday, July 1st at 6 p.m. British Standard Time, 1 p.m. again uh, over here on the East Coast in America. Um, Everton will take on Leicester. Uh, their previous matches this season, uh, Leicester beat Everton 2-1 in December of 2019. Uh I think it was the second to last Marco Silva, uh, Marco Silva's second to last game before they, uh, the drubbing uh, against Liverpool. Um, and then in the EFL cup quarterfinal in December, Everton, it's, you know, I think one of the more memorable moments of the season when Baines strikes that ball and puts it in the back of the net late in that game to send it into extra time. Uh, and then eventually Everton obviously lose on penalties, but um, those were the two time previous times we played Leicester, Leicester, Drew with Brighton 0-0 on Tuesday. Uh, they also drew with Watford uh, since the restart. So two draws for Leicester since the restart. Um, they currently sit in third place on 55 points uh, from 31 games. Um, their last five games have kind of been a little up and down. Obviously, it's hard to tell with the three-month break in between, but a couple losses, a couple draws, and a win in their last five matches. Let's start here. What do we need to learn from the December fixtures uh, when we take on this, uh, this Leicester side? Well, I think it will help that we're, I think we're in a, a much better place than we were then, kind of the tail end of silver and then kind of in limbo while we waited for, to uh, appoint Ancelotti. Um, I don't think Leicester are in as good a place in terms of, I mean, league position they are, but, I think they they won about eight games in a row or something, didn't they, in December? And then uh, came to us in like, I think they, they were second and kind of the closest, looking like, you know, they're going to challenge Liverpool even closer than Man City were. Um, but um, one thing I would I would say that I noticed, um, certainly in the, in the league game when we lost to that VAR goal in the last minute, is that uh, Michael, Michael Keane, as well as he played, uh, in these last two games, does seem to have kind of mental block with with Jamie Vardy. Um, Vardy, despite his kind of he's about thirty three now, he's kind of getting on a bit, but he he's not lost his pace at all. And Michael Keane uh, is is <laughs> is not Everton's fastest player, put it that way. Um, turns like a boat. Someone once told me, so it said to me about Michael Keane. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, Vardy's kind of the obvious one to highlight, but I just kind of, that's one thing I've noticed when we played Leicester, that Michael Keane always seems to struggle to, to contain him. I remember the game last year on New Year's Day. Um, I don't know if any of, you, any of you guys remember this game, but it was kind of a lunchtime kickoff on New Year's Day and like everyone in Goodison seemed to have terrible hangovers <laughs> the night before, including Michael Keane, who just passed it, <laughs> gave it straight to Vardy and and uh, scored the only goal. So, he's obviously one to look out for. Um, I think the, the other thing is, as well, is just kind of keeping your head. I think that Leicester, both Leicester games, we, we, had, we kind of, we had one good half and one bad half and, and um, you know, the performances aren't really there yet with Ancelotti, but we uh, seem to have a, a much much more composure in our game, I think, and um, we're able to sort of manage games, sort of in-game management is a lot better. So um, I would like to see more of that than we saw in December when we played last, I think. Pat? Yeah, I definitely agree with, you know, all those points. Um, I guess another good thing to mention is, you know, Leicester plays Chelsea in the Cup um, only a few days before uh, we meet them. Um so that'd be pretty huge. You know, you'd only expect Leicester to play a pretty strong lineup uh, for the cup game. So, you know, hopefully, um, you know, they have a bit of a more diminished squad when we face up against them. Um, so we'll see, you know, depending on, you know, how that result goes. If they beat Chelsea, then they might be trying to, you know, kind of rest up more of their players. So that'll definitely come into play. Um, so I think that'll be something to look out for as well. Yeah. I, think if I, I think if I was Brendan, sorry, I was going to say, I think if I was, Brendan Rodgers, I would, because Leicester have got, I think, a six-point gap between them and Man United in fifth, and of course, fifth could still be enough for the Champions League anyway, because of Man City. Yeah, I think Leicester can 
probably afford more than most other teams to make changes. I mean, we saw Norwich yesterday drop Timu Puki and Cantwell and Buendia because they got a uh, quarterfinal on Saturday as well. Um, I would be surprised if Brennan Rogers maybe rested a couple of players on uh, next Wednesday to kind of give them a break after um, the Chelsea game on Sunday. Because if I was a Leicester fan, I'd, I'd much rather win that Chelsea game than be Everton away, to be honest, I think. Yeah, no, that's exactly where I was going next. So thanks for uh, for touching on that, on that, Matthew. Um, I didn't watch much, much of Leicester's game against Brighton the other day, but um, obviously, like we mentioned, a 0-0 draw against Brighton. Matthew, impressions from this? And, Pat, if you watch the game as well, um, feel free to chime in. But what did you see in this uh, in this match that, you know, stood out to you? Not much. It was, <laughs> it was a terrible game. Um, I, I watched I watched some of this game. Um, yeah, Leicester really don't look – I mean, I didn't think they were particularly good. Certainly in that league game against us, I kind of thought they got Vardy – and without him, they're pretty, pretty toothless. Um, James James Madison's obviously a good player, but kind of uh, kind of in it, up and down. I noticed they played him out wide rather than normally kind of uh, behind Vardy, which didn't seem to work quite as well. Also, quite a few Leicester fans saying that it's kind of reminded them of before Brendan Rodgers under uh, Claude Puel, how sort of passive and slow. They were at times under him. Um, and obviously, they haven't won yet so since the restart. So, well, I mean, you don't, I mean, they have quite a small squad, and I think Bray probably would have done them good. Well, I think uh, one of the things I was just looking through there, um, we talked about December and how they were on that winning streak in December. Since the beginning of the year, really, they haven't been fantastic. They've won six matches, but four of those matches that they've won in all competitions, this is, were against Wigan. Brentford, Birmingham City, and Aston Villa. So, yeah. and they've lost matches to Norwich. Um, they've lost a match. They lost in the EFL Cup to Aston Villa. Um, they lost to Southampton. So, really, since January, they haven't been as solid as they were before uh, the turn of the year. So, uh, maybe some, you know, maybe some some telling signs there as to how they've been as as the season has progressed here in, in the the back end of the season. Yeah. And they've lost they've lost Ricardo Pereira as well. I think he's one of the best players. Yeah, um, I think he's one of the best fullbacks in the league, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems like a really integral part of of how they play. So um, I know they got a kid called Justin James Justin, who I think has made quite a good impression in his absence. But um, Pereira, I think, will be a big miss. You mentioned Vardy. How do you keep him quiet? Is there is there any way to keep him quiet as as uh, you know as Everton look to defend against him and his speed? <sighs> it's 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 a difficult one with Vardy, isn't it? Because um, it doesn't seem to age. I think <laughs> thing with Vardy is like you know every year you kind of expect well this will be his last good year and keep. Pulling rabbits out of the hat. I think I'm right in saying he's one goal away from 100 Leicester goals or 100 league goals or something. Um, no. So we keep for that. And he's also, I think he's top scorer as well, isn't he, in the league this season? So um, there'll be an incentive from that. I um, I don't know. I mean, Pat, how do you feel about bringing Mina back, Yeri Mina back if he's fit, or would you stick with the two? Or maybe go three. Could we play three in the league game? Played a back three when we lost in December. So, I mean, you... I, I I could definitely see us going three at the back. Um, you know, I think the only thing is that you know we have kept you know two clean sheets in our first two matches back. So maybe you know Carlo won't really want to toy with too much. Um, you know, but you know I think Mina and Keen. I don't really think either of them are really you know stuck out as you know, one being better than the other this season. They both have really good bright spots. You know, sometimes they've really, you know, dark spots as well. You know, I think Keane's goal, confidence will help him boost up a little bit. Um, you know, I don't I don't see Carlo bringing in Mina um, for the match, but, 
you know, I guess we'll have to see. I mean, you got to see, too. Obviously, Mina's coming off an injury, so who knows if he's even going to be 100% fit, and that's probably not the best situation to bring him in against, a, you know, a player like Jamie Vardy. And, uh, you know, Michael Keane's had a pretty good week. He's had a kid. He's got a goal, two clean sheets. You know, he's, he's, you know, he's living, living pretty high right now, and I think he's, you know, I think you guys are probably right. I think we just stick with Keane and Holgate. They're doing, uh, you know, what they need to do right now. Um, two clean sheets in a row, so I think that's, yeah. that's probably how they go. Any other changes, Matthew, uh, Pat? Any other changes that you guys see Ancelotti making? Well, I was I was just going to say I think after Leicester we've got three games in six days, so between uh, you know in the next week. Yeah. So I think I'm sure we'll see Mina at some point then, if not in the Leicester game. Yeah. Because um, it seems like as good a time as any to rotate. Um, any other changes? No. Just think, uh, well, Sigurdsson maybe for for, um, for Davies. Tom, Tom Davies, yeah. Um, other than that, no, I don't, I don't see any, to be honest. I'd stick with Bernard. I would say that. I was going to say I'd stick with Bernard because I think he's yeah. a lot more effective at home. Yeah, Pat, anything to add? Yeah, I think, you know, um, you know, Gordon and, uh, you know, Bernard will definitely be kind of their run outs. Um, I think Gilfie as well. Uh, we'll probably see him start a few games, you know, depending on the fitness of Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison during that stretch of games, you know, might even see a, a Moise Keane start up front, which I'm sure would make a lot of fans happy. Um, but, you know, I, I think those are kind of, you know, the prime players that, you know, I think Carlo would try to be kind of fitting into his squad um, come the rest of the next few games. Real quick before we wrap this up, predictions. Uh, Matthew, we'll start with you. One one nil Everton, I think. Pat? I'm going to go 2-1 Everton. All right. I think I'm going to go with you. I think I agree with you, Pat. I think 2-1 Everton. I think that it's, you know, I don't know. I, I just feel like Lester might score a goal. So that's why. And uh, But I do agree with you guys. I think Everton got a shot at winning this one. And I think this is one of those games. If we can win this one, you know, from here on out, I think we have a shot of, you know, possibly at least getting a point out of out of the rest of our matches. So, um, you know, this could be a good jump start into the rest of the season and kind of finish the season off on a high note. Um, well, that's it. Pat, thanks so much for joining us. It was great having you on. Thanks for having me. Matthew, as always, thanks. Thank you for uh, for joining me. Uh, we're going to be back after the next match. So after the Leicester match, we'll be back with more stuff, me and Matthew. I'm not sure if we'll have anybody else on, but um, we'll see. Let me go, Cal let me go Calvin. Calvin. All right. So we'll have, we'll, we'll have Calvin on after the Leicester match and discuss that. And as we have been discussed the next match and, and some of the Everton news, but until then uh, you guys have a great week and we'll talk to you next time.